May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Yes, there is light at the end of the tunnel for our hero Job. Um, It seems like at long last, maybe God has said to Job, enough is enough. And he calls off the dogs. (laughs) Of course, to Job, it probably seemed like a little too little, a little too late, don't you think? Um, And you've probably been there yourself. You've probably been that in your life where you thought, maybe even said it out loud. My goodness, what else could go wrong? And your friends said to you, please don't say that, you know. No, 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 don't say what else could go wrong because... Because plenty more could go wrong. But I think maybe Job had gotten to the point in his life where he said, No, you know, I think really we've we've reached that limit. We we crossed that threshold. And so there is maybe light at the end of his long, dark, dreary tunnel. His property had all been stolen, his businesses went bankrupt, his homes destroyed by a, a horrible storm, and one of them, all ten of his children were present. They all died in that storm. His wife turned her back on Job, told him she wished he would just curse God and die. I think Job thought, you know, this is probably as bad as it gets. I mean, it's been very depressing for poor Job. I mean, he's a nice chap, a good fellow. He's a good man. And no one has suffered like this probably before and probably no one since. To add insult to Job's injury, though, God is silent. No prophet shows up for a long time to say, Hey, I have a word from the Lord. Guess why all these bad things have been happening? No. All he has is a wife who turns against him and three friends who had the unfortunate ability to go to seminary. And so they have all these good theological answers to give him. And for 38 chapters, they tell him, Job, you must have done something wrong. Surely God is punishing you and he wouldn't do that for no reason. To Job's credit, he doesn't do theology. He talks to God, but he never talks about Him. Job complains. He laments. He prays. His friends talk about God. But for God remains silent. God doesn't speak for Himself. Well, at least not for a very long time. And then last week we found that God finally does speak. He finally does answer Job. And he doesn't really give Job the answer he was looking for, does he? His answer is something like this. Well, who is this? Who are you? You know? Come up here. I have, let's talk. And Job kind of picks himself up and he goes along. And then he agrees. Here, here's what Job says. He says, or the, the, the writer says, And then Job answered the Lord and said, I'm a knucklehead. I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. Golly Moses, I'm a dummy. And you say, my Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> you know, I don't know, Job, I don't know what version you're reading, but mine doesn't actually say that. In fact, it says something like this. I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Yeah, well, what does that sound like to you? You know, golly Moses, I'm an idiot, I'm a dummy, I didn't know what I was talking about, because that's sort of the same thing, isn't it? And that's what we would all do if we were faced with the same sort of circumstance that Job was. If God said to us, well, come here, let's talk. If God says to us, whoa, 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 just who do you think you are anyway? Parents, um, have you ever had that time where your child 
thought that they were kind of forgot their place, you know, and, and, and started, and you were like, wait just a minute, just who are you anyway? Or, or maybe, maybe if you haven't been there, you remember when you were a child and you started giving in your parents and they said, whoa, 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 just who do you think you are anyway? That's sort of the conversation Job has with God, right? Just who do you think you are? Settle down there. You know, I get it. I get the fact that Job has had this complaint, and in the complaint is this latent accusation. God has been on vacation. Um, the docket on God's celestial uh, uh, bench has been just too much, and he hasn't gotten down to Job's case yet. Uh, Job has a complaint against God. I have these problems, and nobody's dealing with it. I get that God says to Job, look, I'm in control, you're not. But here's what I don't get. I don't get the ending of this book. Well, maybe it's hard to get anyway. Chapter 42, verse 10. If you have your bulletin, will you look with me at at verse 10? It's kind of down there towards the uh, latter half of that. Chapter 42, verse 10 says this, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. And the Lord gave Job and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. You know, you could replace camels. You know? I mean, I, I assume you could replace camel. I've never had one, but I'm thinking if I had one, I could probably get another. You know, if my camel died, I probably could replace that camel. I probably could get more donkeys and goats. You know, I could I can see your if your house gets destroyed by a big storm, you know, maybe God says, Don't worry, you're in good hands. You know, he Maybe Allstate stole his uh, logo from way back when. You know, I can fix those things. Don't. Job lost ten children. You don't replace those. You know, when the text says, "And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job," well, yeah, you can bring me my stuff back. I can get new stuff. But what about these ten human lives? They were intricately involved in my... Sure, you can take away my diseases, you can bring me my stuff, you can even give me better stuff than I have. And here's my question. How does Job go on? How does he pick himself back up and start moving again? How does he, how does he go through another day? Okay, yeah, his diseases are going, yeah, his stuff is returned, yeah, he has money again, but how does he continue to live? As someone who had ten children and they all died. I think there's only one answer to that question. I think Job has to begin to see life through an eternal perspective and not a temporal one. He has to get himself out of his view and kind of get up high and look down on top of his life. And that's exactly what God does to him, right? Job, come here, I want to show you something. And he takes him on a little tour of the universe. And Job suddenly sees things like he had never seen them before. That's what he says. Back to your bulletin. Back there. Earlier on, verse 5. Job is talking here and he says this. I heard of you, that I heard of God, right? By the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. This is not literal, okay? This is a metaphor. Job doesn't really see God. He's not saying, oh God, I didn't know you had such white wavy hair. That's not the way he saw him. Job sees God in life. He sees Him in a way he had never seen Him before. Job has an epiphany. He suddenly understands, oh my goodness, that's what life is really like. He has an epiphany and it changes everything. 
He might have had head knowledge about God, but there's a different kind of knowledge. There's an experience that Job doesn't have that he does have after his suffering. Maybe some of you have known something about this, you know? Gentlemen, maybe those of you who have been married, you said in your 20s, women are a mystery. It's difficult to understand women. And then you got married. And you realized that what you had said, you had spoken of something you didn't really understand. Women are really mysterious and difficult to understand. And difficult to... Women who have been married, um, maybe you said in your 20s, men are Neanderthals. And then you got married and you realized, you know what, they really are, you know. And uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Nothing makes me more angry than when I hear a freshman student say philosophy is a waste of time. It's not that he's not correct in saying that. It's that he has not yet earned the right to say so. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, you really have to pay your dues before you can say that. There is a sense of, there's a sense of experience that takes you to a deeper level of knowledge. God is in control, we say. But Job has a sense of God being in control that he had never had before this suffering. And so I think this epiphany that he has brings two things to Job. The first is, Job decides that he has to move on in life. You know, I try to put myself in Job's place. Have you you ever read through this book and try to say, could I do this? Just this week, somebody says to me, you know, I don't think I could have done that. And I said to them, I agree. I could not have either. But I'm not Job. I I, I wasn't there. But the only way that Job can do this is if he begins to see life from an eternal perspective. Let me read to you the text again. Verse 10, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And then then came all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. They showed sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought on him. Each of them brought, gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. That's nice, isn't it? Here, Job, sorry about all the bad things we said about you. Um, here's a gold ring. Uh, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. He had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. Now, you'd have to look at this carefully. You have to look closely because here the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. But in Hebrew, Job begat seven sons and three daughters. The Lord restored to Job his fortune. But Job made a decision to start a family again. The Lord gave Job back his stuff, but Job took and said, Hey, look, I think it's time to start a family. Job began to live again. And more than just live, notice how things change. He begins to see beauty in in life. He has has these daughters. And the text says, and and the daughters were more beautiful than any of the other women of the earth or in the area. These women were... Notice what he calls them. He names them. Dove and Cinnamon. And dark eyes, that, that's the translations. Dove and cinnamon. I, I wonder if this is where um, Neil Young got cinnamon girl. I don't know, but maybe, you know, Pete, I thought for sure you'd get that one. I thought, uh, these beautiful young women. And Job puts them in the will. 
you say to yourself, well, lots of lots of dads love their daughters and put their daughters in the will. Not in the ancient Near Eastern world. Nobody did this. I know, ladies, I hate to say this. It's true. In the ancient Near Eastern world, women were viewed as property. And daughters could sometimes be as much of a burden as they were a delight. So, so you know, they wanted sons. And here Job has three daughters, but he sees these be- the beauty in these daughters. He puts them in the will. He gives them an equal inheritance with their brothers. Job begins to see the world not like everybody else saw the world. He begins to see the world the way God sees the world. With beauty and equality. Job has been through an awful, awful experience. And because of this, he is a changed man. Not just because of the suffering, but because God took him on a tour of the universe and said, why don't you look at things the way I do? I think there's a lot of lessons in this book, but at least this one. When we trust God with everything, we have absolutely nothing to fear. When we trust God with... oh. Oh, He may take us through dark waters, or dark nights. He may take us through deep waters. He may take us through fiery trials. Oh yeah. Have you ever read that hymn, How Firm a Foundation, Ye Saints of the Lord? All these verses are quotes. When through the deep waters He calls thee to go, uh, the rivers of woe shall not thee overflow. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. There is no guarantee that in this life that you get to do an end around, just because you're following the Lord, that you get to do an end around suffering. In fact, it might lead you right through the suffering. The promise is this though, that when we trust the Lord with everything, He promises never to leave us or forsake us. And if the worst thing that can happen does happen, God is still in control. Maybe you've heard the story of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a, a missionary in the, in the 50s to the Alca Indians of Ecuador. The, Alca Indi- the word Alca means savage. And these Indians were exactly that. They were savages. Um, they were very violent, hostile. They completely uncivilized. And Jim Elliott was a student at Wheaton College in Chicago. And um, while he was there, he was studying the uh, Bible and uh, biblical translation was his thing. And, and decided he, that God was calling him to be a missionary. Decided that God was calling him to be a missionary to the Alka Indians, completely unreached people group. And so after graduation, he moves to South America. A, a year later or so, a young woman moves to South America, also a, a, a graduate of Wheaton and became a friend of Jim's. They got married in Ecuador, Jim and Elizabeth Elliott. In the 50s, they're, they're living in Ecuador. And, and Jim and, and some other missionaries decided they were, trying, they were going to try to reach these Alka Indians. So they started flying an airplane with really low flying, and they were broadcasting a message over a loudspeaker. And this one Alka Indian, they started calling him George, started coming out to hear these messages as they were flying over. And this is when they started dropping gifts like food and, and baskets of, of kind of supplies, and, and George would come out and get them. And, and then one day they decided to brave it, and they landed. And they made contact with this Alka Indian. And then they decided to come back. And when they came back, they were flying real low, and, and, and they saw that there was a gathering, ten Alka tribesmen out there. And so they landed the plane on the sandy beach next to a river, and they got out to meet these Indians. They thought that surely George had communicated to the, to the uh, rest of the tribesmen that their intentions were peaceful, and that they were good, harmless people. And so these five brave missionaries got out of this plane, and instead of being welcomed as guests, they were attacked as enemies. All five of them were killed. Jim Elliott's body was found floating down the river 
not far from the plane. His young wife, two months before her 30th birthday, with a one-year-old child in a foreign land, was left to face the world without her husband. God, how could you let this happen? She takes his diary one day and she opens it up and she reads this entry where Jim had written in his diary, A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot lose to gain, or to gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Do you know what Elizabeth Elliot did? She started a mission to the Alka Indians. She went to the very people who had killed her husband, the father of her daughter. And her mission was successful. The Alka Indians became faithful followers of Christ, transformed their entire tribe. And to this day, there is this, this, this stream of Christianity that runs through this part of Ecuador because of the sacrifice of Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But the only way, the only way you come to this conclusion is when you begin to see life not from a temporal perspective, but from an eternal one. When we see life the way God sees it, that changes everything. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.